If you got your Bibles this morning, go with me to the book of 1 Peter chapter 4. This morning we're going to be in verses 12 through 19. 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 12 through 19. If you just kind of remind you that Peter's writing to resident aliens, those who are just strangers, scattered, they're passing through, and they are under severe persecution for their faith. And so in this section, Peter's going to give them some principles in dealing with what he calls fiery trials. In ASB, he's going to say fiery ordeals, painful circumstances in your life. And so let's jump right in. Let's read verses 12 through 19. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal trial among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer, or thief, or evildoer, or troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man in the sinner? In verse 19, therefore also those who also suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. In doing what is right. This morning I want us to look at trials, fiery ordeals, and how do we deal with them. And just from doing my study in this past week to kind of help me remember this, and maybe you can remember this if you take notes, I believe there's four things that Peter tells us about trials, and they're going to all start with E, and i got one word, and it starts with E for each one, to help us when we're going through these fiery trials. And the first thing we see that I would say when we're talking about fiery trials, the first word I would say is this, it's the word expect. Expect. You should expect trials to come into your life. Fiery ordeals, you should expect them. Look what he says in verse 12. First of all, he says this, he calls them beloved. Now that word beloved means this, divinely loved ones. In other words, these are children of God. These are not lost people. These are saved people, and he's writing to Christians. And so he says, beloved, divinely loved ones, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. Now, we all know what the word surprise means, right? When you see the word surprise, it means this. It means it is something unexpected. 
It means you have been caught off guard. You ever been to a surprise birthday party, right? The, the recipient of that is caught off guard, right? They did not know it was going to happen. And so what happens is everybody jumps out and says, surprise, right? And so this is the same uh, principle that Peter is saying as far as fiery trials are concerned. He says, as a child of God, don't be shocked. Don't be surprised. Don't think it's strange. What does it mean to think of something as strange? It means something that is unusual, something that is unfamiliar. Peter says you should expect to go through fiery trials. Now listen, you got to grasp this. Because if you don't grasp this, you will become disillusioned in your faith. Because a lot of people assume... Well, because I'm a Christian, I shouldn't be going through this. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. See, when you follow Jesus Christ, it's a narrow way. It's not an easy road. It's a hard road. It's a difficult road. Why? Because you're going against the grain of culture. When you follow Jesus Christ, now you're not only fighting your flesh... You're fighting the world, and you're fighting the devil, your arch enemy. And so we should expect these fiery trials to come into our lives. Now listen, even though following Christ is difficult, there also, it also brings things like peace. It also brings things like joy. It also brings things like security, knowing that you are on your way to heaven. And so the benefits far outweigh what the costs are. Yes, as a child of God, listen, expect fiery trials to happen. Don't be surprised when something like this comes into your life. Jesus told the disciples in John 16 and 33, he said, in the world you are going to have trouble. You're going to have tribulation." He didn't say it's pot. He said, listen, you're going to have it. Go ahead and expect that it's going to happen. Even Paul tells young Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 and 12, look what he says here. He says, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. He didn't say most people. He said, if you live for Jesus Christ, guess what? You're going to be persecuted. You're going to have difficulties. Why? Because you follow Christ. Paul would say in Acts 14, 22, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And so troubles and trials are part of the Christian life. They simply happen, and so expect them don't be surprised when they, listen, I'm surprised in some, when somebody calls and gives me good news. Are you like that too? Most of the time when people call me, it's not to tell me something good. And I'm not just talking about church people, I'm talking about family members. When they call you, it's normally a crisis has happened. We need to do something about this. And so he says here, you've got to expect trials, expect 
fiery ordeal. They are going to happen. As a matter of fact, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 1 and 8 about an incident in his life as the apostle, one who was sent by God. He says, we don't want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia. Listen, listen how he describes this situation. He says that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves. In other words, he said this, when I was going through this, I didn't think I was going to make it out of it. I thought, I literally thought I was going to die from this, what he was saying. Have you ever been in a situation you said, I don't think we'll make it through this one. Let's be honest. I don't know if we're going to make it through this one. Well, guess what? You're not alone. Paul thought that too. He was to the point in his life where he said, I don't know if I'm going to make it through this. And if you, live, if you continue on this verse, he says this, but we learn to depend on God. We learn to trust God who raises the dead. In other words, if God can raise the dead, guess what? He can get me out of this mess. He can do the impossible. And so Peter says, when you are facing a fiery trial, or when you're thinking about fiery trials, the first thing as a child of God is this, you must expect them to happen. Then the second thing, that we get from fiery trials, and I don't sure we expect them. The second word I get from this is the word exaltation. What should our response be when we're going through fiery trials? Look at verse 13. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, what does he say here? He says, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation and so Peter says you should expect trials but guess what when you're going through trials you know what you should do you should rejoice in your trials you should exalt in your trials that means to hold your head up why? You hold your head up because you realize that God is in control, that he is the one that is in charge of everything, that my steps are being ordered. And so Peter says, listen, when you're in the midst of the trial, keep on rejoicing. You don't rejoice say, well, praise God, I lost my job today. No, that's not what you rejoice in. You rejoice in the fact that Jesus Christ is your Savior, that he is on the throne. Listen, if Paul can say in Philippians in a prison cell, not knowing whether or not his head's going to be chopped off at any minute, and if he can say rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, what's keeping you from rejoicing today in the Lord? What's keeping you from coming into his sanctuary and saying, and I'm going to say it again, listen, if you base your worship on how good of a week you had, your worship is going to be so inconsistent. But if you base your worship on who Jesus Christ is, and he has never changed, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's still on the throne. He's still in charge. He's still the Savior of my soul. You will always be one who is rejoicing. And so Peter says, exalt in your 
trials. Exalt in those fiery ordeals. Look what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 10 through 12. He says, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He says, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and, false, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. Now, that's when I go to the checkout line and the cashier says, I hope you have a blessed day. You may say, oh, you, yeah, I want people to talk bad about me. Because when they talk bad about you, guess what? You're blessed. It's a blessing. Why? Because you're a child of God. So blessings don't just, it's not the good things that come your way. As a child of God, I'm blessed regardless. I am blessed when people talk bad about me. I'm blessed when they gossip about me. I'm blessed when I go in, when I go. I'm just a simply a stinking blessed man. And you are too, amen. And so Peter says, listen, you should rejoice. You should exalt in your trials. Now, we may say, was well, Peter somebody that's just one of those people, you know, that says, well, do as I say and not as I do? No. If you go to Acts chapter 5, Peter and the boys, the apostles, they're out preaching Jesus. And the high priest and the council, they don't like it. So the Bible says in Acts chapter 5, they called them in together. And they told Peter and the boys, you better stop preaching in this name Jesus. Well, Peter says, and he don't do it disrespectfully, he just simply says this, well, I got news for you, we, got, we ought to be God rather than men. And we've been told to go into all the world and preach the gospel, so that's what we got to do. And the Bible says in Acts 5 and 40, look at this, this is from his own life. He says, after calling the apostles in, they flogged them. And ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And then they released them. And so they whipped them. So did Peter didn't get mad and said, all right, that's it. We're not doing this anymore. No. The Bible says in verse 41, says this. So they went on their way from the presence of the council. What did they do? They rejoiced in the fact that they were counted, wor they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And so they said, thank God that he considered us worthy to suffer the same way that my Savior did. And guess what? If they hated Jesus, they're not going to accept you if you're, if you're Christ-like. If they didn't like Jesus, they're not going to like you. And so what we should do is this, we should rejoice in the fact that we were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Peter continues in our text, verse 14, 1 Peter 4. He says, if you are reviled for the name of Christ, and really this word you are is not in the original, original Greek. It should say this, if you are reviled in the name of Christ, blessed. Blessed. If somebody makes fun of you or slanders you because you're a Christian, he says, guess what? You're blessed. You're blessed. And I said this last week, I think it was, but let me tell you something. If the if you don't rub people wrong the raw the wrong rub people wrong by your behavior, I ain't talking about meaning to. I'm just talking about just by living for the Lord. If it doesn't rub people the wrong way, you need to check yourself and say, "Am I really living for the Lord?" 
Because when you live for the Lord Jesus Christ, it's going to rub the world the wrong way. You don't have to try to be offensive. The gospel is going to be offensive on its own. Just doing what the Lord tells us to do is going to be offensive on its own. And Peter says this. If you are revived in the name of Christ, you're blessed. Why? Because the spirit of glory rests upon you and God rests on you. In other words, when you are being persecuted because you're doing what's right, he says it's because the spirit of God, the spirit of glory is resting on you. How, does, how in the world can Stephen in Acts chapter 7, as he is being stoned, say this, Lord, do not lay this sin to their charge. No, we'd be somebody saying, I need to pick up some rocks and defend myself here, right? But Peter is, listen, his face is like the face of an angel. Why? Because the Spirit of God is resting on him. And when you are under severe persecution, guess what? It shows that the Spirit of God, it shows that the Spirit of glory is resting on you. And let me tell you something. You can either become resentful when you go through a trial or you can rejoice. And you can either let it poison you, or you can let it perfect you. You can do that. We all, we, we, we've, we've seen this in our lives. You look at a marriage. When a marriage goes through a crisis, one or two things are going to happen. They're going to get closer together, or they're going to fall apart at the seams. And when a Christian goes through a trial, you're going to use that to be perfected, to become more and more like Jesus Christ, or are you going to let the experience poison you? And so Peter says, listen, when you're going through a trial, you got to, first of all, you got to expect them. They're going to happen. The second thing is when I go through it, I've got to have, check my attitude, and I should exalt in them. Why should we exalt in them? Let's continue on. Look at James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. This is what James says. So this is not something Peter's coming up with by himself or on his own. He says, James says this, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. When you go through a trial, he says, you need to consider it or reckon it joy. You need to have a joyful attitude and not let it poison you, not let it deter you. How can we have joy? Why should we have joy? He says, verse 3. He says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So in other words, God is using this trial to perfect me. See, it's easy to talk the game of faith as long as everything is going well. But it's when you get the bad doctor's report. Do you have faith then? Do you have faith that it's easy? I don't understand this. Why is it all the time when, when something good happens, people say, God's on the throne. And if something bad happens, we don't ever say, well, God's on the throne. No, we think all of a sudden he's lost control of everything. But let me tell you something. God is always in control. He's always on the throne. You may not can feel it. You may not can see it. You may not can understand it. But God is always on the throne. And let me tell you something. You can't develop just by reading a book. You can't develop endurance by reading a book. If I was going to run a marathon, which I'd be crazy to do, because the Bible says, right, the wicked run when nobody's chasing them. (laughs) 
But if I was going to run a marathon, I couldn't just say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to the library today. I'm going to check me out some running books. And I'm going to sit on the couch, and I'm going to eat Cheetos and read up on running. And then all of a sudden, if I tried to get out there and run, I'd have a heart attack 50 yards down the track. Why? Because you can't develop endurance just by reading something. You've got to go through it. And let me tell you something. We all know this. Growing up in school, experience was a far greater teacher than that teacher telling you something. What's the old saying? Listen, a cat will only sit on a hot stove once. Because once he sits on that hot stove one time, he won't sit on that stove again. Because he remembers what happened when he sat on that stove. And let me tell you something. Some of us never will learn unless we go through it. Unless we go through it. And so God has to take... The same way with the disciples. Listen, Jesus could tell the disciples all day long, I'm master over the sea. But until they got into that boat and got to the point where they thought they were about to drown, and then he stands up and says, peace be still. Then they say, hey, he's the master over everything. Until Abraham could lace Isaac down on that altar, he couldn't really understand that he's Jehovah Jireh, he's my provider, until he got to that point where he didn't have anything left. And God had to step in and do something. And so Paul says, you've got to exalt in your trials. Paul says it again in Romans 5, 3 through 5. We also exalt in tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, perseverance, proven character, proven character, hope, and this hope does not disappoint. And so we go through these fiery trials because these fiery trials show whether or not our faith is genuine. And so when we're going through that, we should exalt in the Lord. We should rejoice because he's in control. And the third word is this. Not just simply expect them. Not just simply exaltation. But the third thing is this. I would say examine. Now what do you mean examine? I'm saying this. When you go through a trial, you should examine your life. You should examine your spiritual walk. Because in verse 15, look what Peter says here. He says, make sure, in other words, examine yourself here, that none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. You ever heard, and I've said this many times, and I'm sure a lot of us have said this, I don't know why I am going through this. Now, I'm a simple person. And I believe you can basically boil everything down. There's two reasons why a Christian is going through something. The first one is for discipline. And the second one is for development. Okay? Discipline or development. And when you are going through a fiery trial, an ordeal, it should cause us to examine our life and try to figure out the reason why we are going through this. In other words, you could ask yourself this question. Is this some kind of sin? I'm, is there some kind of sin I'm committing or harboring in my life? Or is this a work of the Savior? Is this a work of God's discipline? Or is it a work of God's development in me? Is it a trial of correction or is it a trial of perfection? See, because Peter says, listen, it's possible to suffer 
and be suffering something, not because it's God's will for your life, but because you are sinning. Look what he says here. He lists some possible things. He says, listen, make sure if you're suffering, if you're going through a fiery trial, you're not suffering because you're a murderer. Now listen, if you kill somebody, you can't sit in jail and say, God, why are you doing this to me? Right? Because you're suffering because of your foolish decisions. He says this, make sure you're not suffering because you stole stuff. If you get caught stealing, you can't say, well, God, why am I, why, why am I going, why, why is everything like it is? No, you are stealing, and because you're stealing, guess what? You're suffering because of that. Or he says this, or an evildoer. An evildoer is simply a troublemaker. If you're a troublemaker, quit blaming God for your troubles. You're a troublemaker, all right? And then Peter uses this word right here. The only time he's ever used in the New Testament. He says, or a troublesome meddler. A troublesome meddler. In other words, this is someone who intrudes into matters that belong to someone else. Let me tell you something. It would do some of us some good if we just simply mind our own business. Mind our own business. Do you realize there's an interesting story in the life of Jesus in Luke 12, 13 through 14, when Jesus is teaching? And as he's teaching, all of a sudden this young man yells out and says to him, Teacher, tell my brother... To divide the family inheritance with me. Look what Jesus says in verse 14. But he said to them, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? Now, I don't know about you, but Jesus is a judge. He can see everything. He has the right to judge because he's righteous. But even Jesus is wise enough to know, I ain't getting involved with you guys. I'm not getting involved in your family matters. You have at it because Jesus knows once you say you get it, you upset the other person. And some of us could really use this in our life right now. You don't have to respond to every Facebook post. You don't have to give them your little pearl of wisdom. Because you're doing it before the swine and all they're going to do, if they're not ready to receive it, all they're going to do is tear into you and drag you right into it. And all of a sudden now you find yourself in a mess. And we need to realize you don't have to know everything that goes on. I say this a lot of times. I don't like people telling me stuff because the more I know, the more I'm responsible for Right? And some of us need to live by 1 Thessalonians 4 and 11 here. Paul says this, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we have commanded you. I like boredom. I like routine. I like things to go the way they're supposed to go. I don't like surprises. I don't like excitement, okay? 
I like coming to church and having a good time in the Lord. I don't like people to upset the apple cart. Right? And so some of us could really use this today and say, if I'm going through a trial, first of all, i got to realize this, is it some kind of sin I'm committing? Am I a busybody? Am I a thief? Am I a murderer? But then verse 16, he says this, but if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but it's to glorify God in this name. And so guess what? You can do the right thing for the right reason at the right time and still suffer. Yeah. You can do the right thing for the right reason at the right time and still suffer. But as a Christian, you've got to realize this, that God is doing everything for our good and for his glory. Verse 17 and 18, look what he says here. He says, for it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel? And if it is with difficulty the righteous is saved, what will become the godless man and the sinner? What Peter is saying to us here is this. He's not unsure of his salvation, but he's talking about the difficulty of the road for believers. It's a narrow way. It's a narrow gate. And there's few people that find it. But what Peter is saying here is this. If it's this difficult to be a Christian... For those who are on their way to heaven, how difficult is it going to be for those that are lost? How difficult is it going to be? Because here's the thing we do. As a Christian, if we're not careful, we begin to look at the world and say, they got it bad. They got it good. Why they got it so good? It seems to me like the world never suffers it seems like everything goes their way. But the psalmist had this problem, and he says this in Psalms 37, 1 through 3. Do not fret because of evildoers. Be not envious toward wrongdoers, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. He says, verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Then verse 12 and 13, he says this. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes its teeth at, at them. Then verse 13, but the Lord laughs at them. He sees that his day is coming. What Peter wants us to realize is this. Yes, it is difficult, but guess what? You can suffer now and spend eternity in heaven with our Lord and Savior, or you can... Have it good here and suffer eternity in hell. And so he tells us, expect trials. They're going to happen. When you encounter a trial, exalt in them, rejoice in them. He says also when you go through a trial, you examine your own life. Why am I going through this? Is it some kind of sin that I, that, 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 I, that I got unconfessed? Am I in a state of rebellion? Or is it the Savior that is working and perfecting me? And then the fourth thing is this, the word I got, is the word entrust. Look at verse 19. Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God. Notice he's not talking about those who suffer as a thief or murderer or a meddler. 
But if you're suffering according to the will of God, shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. What does that word entrust mean? It means to relinquish yourself. The word entrust is really a banking term. It means to give in charge as a deposit. It conveys the idea of a precious treasure being deposited into the care of someone else. When you get your paycheck, if you still get a check, most of us will take that check, we'll go to our local bank, we'll sign that check, and we'll deposit it into that bank. And when we do that, we're saying, I'm entrusting you with this money. And if I need to come back and get it tomorrow, you're going to be faithful enough to give me that money back. Right? If you're an older person and you got young kids, you would set up what they call a trust fund, right? And what does a trust fund do? For, it's for those that are going to be heirs that are under the age of 18. It sets it in a trust fund. And when they get to a certain age, it says that that place is going to ensure that those kids, when they turn the age of 18, they are going to give them everything you said for them to have. That's the same thing that he's talking about here. Listen, as a child of God, you've got to entrust your soul to him and realize that he is in charge. He is in... Now, look, look what he calls him here. Because this is the only time he's ever called this here in the New Testament. He calls him, he says, you can entrust your soul to the faithful creator. Now, we all know that God is faithful, even if we... Because he cannot deny himself. Even if we are faithless, Paul says, he still remains faithful. He still remains trustworthy. He still remains dependable. But he not just calls him faithful, he calls him the faithful creator. What does that mean? That means that God is in charge of the earth. And you know what? Because he's the faithful creator. As Genesis 8 and 22 says, it's going to always be seed time and harvest. It's going to always be cold and heat. Y'all remember, I remember, I remember growing up as a kid when they would have a presidential debate and these looney tunes would get on there and say, oh, in the next five years, I think they said about 90, uh, 96, by 2000, uh, the, the, you know, Miami's going to be flooded, right? Oh, the polar caps are going to be gone. Oh, the I, we're, we're, we're about to, it was the ice age, now it's, we're, we're going through all this stuff if we don't do something. But I got news for you. God is the faithful creator, and as long as he is on the throne, which he is eternally, it will always be cold and heat. Listen, 
This morning when you got up, guess what? It was cold. Some of you wore a jacket. But I promise you, in July, it's going to be blazing hot in here, right? Out there. But guess what? If you don't like hot weather, hold on. It's coming around December. It's going to get cold about three days around here, right? But then guess what? You don't like that. It's going to warm up again. Why is that? Because God is in charge of this world. And what he says is... It's going to happen, and man can't do anything about it. Man can't do anything about it. Have you ever wondered why those big old meteors that they said are, came close to the earth and was going to destroy the earth haven't happened? It's because God is not going to allow it to happen. And if he is faithful, listen, if he is faithful to make sure it's seed time and harvest, to make sure it's going to be cold and heat, to make sure it's going to be summer and winter. To make sure it's going to be day and night. How many, how many worried last night when you went to bed that the sun was going to come up the next day? No, you didn't. You just knew the sun's coming up. Why? Because that's how it's always been. Why has it always been that way? Because God is the faithful creator. He's in charge of everything. And let me tell you something. If he is faithful enough to take care of his creation, do you not think for one moment he's not going to take care of you? He died for you. He gave his son for you. Do you think for one moment God is not in charge of our lives? See, Paul would say in 2 Timothy 1 and 12, for this reason, come on, be playing. I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed. He says, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard, look at this, which I have entrusted to him until that day. Paul said, you know what I can do with my soul? I can relinquish it to the Lord, and I know he's going to take care of me. I know he's going to take care of me. So what are we saying here today? I'm saying, child of God, if you're going through a fiery trial, it's not strange. It's not unusual. It's part of being a child of God. I'm saying if you're going through a fiery trial, he's going to help you. I'm saying when you're going through a fiery trial, exalt in him, rejoice in him, because that takes the poison out of the situation. It doesn't allow the poison to get inside your spirit. I'm saying if you're going through a fiery trial, not just exalt in it, but you got to examine your life. Well, is there something I'm doing, something I, in rebellion I'm in? And if I am in rebellion, you repent of your sins? I'm saying if you're going through a fiery trial, entrust yourself to God and say, Lord, this situation is yours. I'm giving it to you. Everybody standing all over the house. I'm going to read three more verses. Paul says this in Romans 8 and 18. For I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. What we're going through now, it is nothing compared to what we're going to. So you got to keep your eyes on Jesus. Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 4, 17. 
for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory that's far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen, those things are eternal. I'm here to tell you, listen, what you're going through today, it's temporary. It's not gonna last. There's coming a day where there's no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more pain. And if we suffer with him, guess what? We're also going to reign with him. Glory be to God. Hallelujah.